This is the Sustainable Self-Development Podcast. I'm your show host, Abel, and this is episode 10 with none other than tenured professor, researcher, and absolute beast of a muscle power athlete, Dr. Dominic D'Agostino. This was a very special interview for me for multiple reasons. A, because Dom was actually my very first interview guest back in 2014 when we did kind of a ketogenic diet 101 sort of episode discussing the very basic concepts of the diet. But furthermore, I respect and admire this guy enormously. Not just because he is a highly respected researcher and academic figure, but because he sort of encompasses the life philosophy by which I try to lead my career, which is do what you're doing to the absolute best of your abilities and then rise to the very top of your field by pouring out tons and tons of value into the world. And sure enough, ever since I first came across Dom in an interview with Dr. Mercola, he just skyrocketed his reputation in the field to the very, very top. The interview I'm referring to was back in 2013, and at that time, believe it or not, it was the only interview you could find with Dom on YouTube. And I mean, by now, he is an absolute superstar in the field of researching ketogenic diets and metabolic interventions for disease prevention and treatment. And besides all of this, Dr. D'Agostino seems to live a truly, genuinely interesting life with tons of exciting projects, events, and experiences. So he's just a highly influential and inspiring person in my life. But I'll stop rambling and quickly touch on what we talked about in this episode. We talked about how the recognition of the ketogenic diet has changed over the years in the scientific and lay community, some of his new interests, such as how certain ketone bodies influence inflammation and inflammatory markers in the body, and then we touched on some other interesting topics like how overeating in a state of ketosis is different than overeating in a non-ketogenic state, We touched on the role, the importance, and the potential dangers of saturated fat intake. And then we even got into some topics around stress management. And at the very end, we even talked about some of Dr. D'Agostino's thoughts and ideas around self-improvement and living a happy, interesting life. So I hope you'll enjoy this episode. If so, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. It would greatly help out. And of course, check out Dr. D'Agostino's stuff on ketonutrition.org and at metaboloptimization.com. You can find all of these links in the show notes. So without further ado, let's bring on Dr. Dominic D'Agostino. You were my first ever podcast guest and um, I would be curious to see how you viewed kind of the journey of the ketogenic diet per se in the last kind of three years or have there been any kind of research that interests you or excite you in the field of a ketogenic diet or maybe just general nutritional or medical research that have really piqued your interest uh, recently? Yeah, uh, you know, probably when we first connected, I, I didn't have an, an appreciation of ketones, the ketogenic diet and, and the ketone metabolite. Uh, I didn't have an appreciation beyond its function as an alternative energy substrate for the brain and it's remarkably uh efficient in supplying alternative energy to glucose you know in place of glucose during when you're faced with fasting and of course during the ketogenic diet it supplies a significant amount of energy to the brain 
So over since the last time we connected, and there's been a lot of publications on this, and one of them from uh, collaborators at Yale uh, uh, showing that the ketone metabolite is also a signaling molecule. And it has interesting effects at uh, uh, altering gene expression, mimicking sort of molecules that we, uh, we know that drug, drugs are designed to be histone deacetylase inhibitors and the endogenous metabolite beta-hydroxybutyrate, which is a ketone body, we know functions as a histone deacetylase inhibitor. Uh, so that's, that's new information. And also that ketones impact in, inflammatory pathways, in particular, the NLRP3 inflammasome that we published on in Nature Medicine showing that it suppresses that inflammasome in the face of things that would normally trigger an inflammatory response. And, and the inflammasome is basically uh, a complex that when it's activated, it kicks on inflammatory pathways and elevation of certain uh, inflammatory cytokines that are associated with age-related chronic diseases, uh, neuroinflammation, uh, different types of GI cancers and other cancers are associated with persistent, sustained activation of this inflammatory pathway. And from new research that we've kind of in the last couple of years, we, we understand that ketones are, are altering like these two pathways that I'm talking about in, in a way that's independent of its role as an energy metabolite. So it would make sense too, right, that our that various metabolites in our body also have signaling properties, you know, because they are sort of a barometer or an index of the energetic state of the cell or the system as a whole. And I find it, you know, it's interesting to understand more of the signaling roles of these endogenous metabolites, in particular beta-hydroxybutyrate, because we can develop and synthetic agents and even naturally derived agents that can elevate beta-hydroxybutyrate. So we, we start to get more of a, uh, the picture starts to expand more, you know, as, and it, it also um, kind of opens up different applications for the ketogenic diet for inflammatory disorders. And it sort of makes sense to me now that you know, all the emails that I've been getting from people with inflammatory disorders that follow the ketogenic diet, uh, you know, that may be due in part to its role as an anti-inflammatory metabolite. Right. So, um, uh, I'm sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, I, I was going to say, you know, its role in signaling and also its expanding role in different applications uh, including, I would say, like motor function. We did some work on anxiety, showing that elevating, producing nutritional ketosis can reduce uh, anxiety and different, different animal models of anxiety that we test. So these are like new and emerging applications that are coming out. Uh, autism, um, you know, resistance to hypoxia, which actually was published years ago on this, but I think it's something that's kind of re-emerging as, as an area of interest. Right. So just, just for the lay population, when you mention inflammation, should they think of um, similar inflammation that would be mitigated by things like anti-inflammatory drugs or maybe 
curcumin and these kind of things? Yeah, well, inflammation is kind of a, you know, is the end result of an elevation of, of molecules in the body that, that produce it. And you can have a different complement of inflammatory cytokines and it could, your inflammation could be due to a broad range of, of things from an elevation of oxidative stress, reactive oxygen species in the tissues, tissue destruction. Uh, there's various factors like during, you know, if you have necrosis in a tumor, right, it's releasing factors that chronically inflame the microenvironment of that tumor and can promote tumor progression in a way. Um, so it's, you know, and, and various drugs like NSAIDs and, and steroids, they work through different mechanisms. And I think what's interesting with exogenous ketones is that uh, it, or, and you know, yeah, endogenous and exogenous ketones is that this anti-inflammatory pathway is kind of hardwired into our system and may play a big role um, in the anti-inflammatory effects that we see with the ketogenic diet and also with fasting. And that was sort of the hypothesis of the investigator that did you know, most of the research or his lab did most of the research in this area using a ketogenic formula that we developed and kind of sent to him. Uh, his name is Deep Dixit and he's at Yale University. And his sort of, his hypothesis was that the anti-inflammatory effects of fasting or calorie restriction were due in large part to the elevation of beta-hydroxybutyrate working through very specific mechanistic pathways that were independent of metabolism. And these pathways are different than those pathways that are like the COX-2 pathway that are impacted by the NSA drugs or the various inflammatory pathways associated with corticosteroids. Uh, like cortisone or, or prednisone or um, dexamethasone, which are common common drugs used even in cancer. If a brain tumor patient is undergoing radiation therapy or chemotherapy, they're often given anti-inflammatory drugs uh, like dexamethasone, and these drugs are catabolic. They break down muscle tissue, and they also elevate blood glucose levels and create... Uh, an unfavorable metabolic profile that is difficult, makes it more difficult to manage the cancer in the patient that's receiving it from a, the drug, from a metabolic perspective. So if we can substitute things like, you know, uh, beta-hydroxybutyrate in an exogenous form to suppress inflammation, that would be a significant advancement of sort of uh, our medical treatment of inflammation. And we're pretty, you know, we don't know, we don't think it would have the same impact or powerful anti-inflammatory effects as, you know, a high dose steroid drug. But we think that uh, that's probably a good thing because if you suppress inflammation too much, then that's kind of a bad thing. Your body needs a balance of inflammation. And I think yeah. it's that balance that the that the ketogenic diet and maybe even natural, you know, forms of or elevating beta-hydroxybutyrate, which is, you know, with a with a supplement that's bioidentical to what our body makes, can promote 
an anti-inflammatory state that is more favorable to uh, promoting good health and recovery. Right, and and that, that is interesting because typically, now we're talking about inflammation, and typically the ketogenic diet is kind of brought in association with calorie restriction or fasting, and, and that it mimics the effects of those things. And typically we think of those um, in, interventions as kind of anti-aging kind of strategies. Yeah. So, so in that vein, would you be inclined to say that the ketogenic diet could have sort of anti-aging mechanisms as uh, vague as that sounds but yeah absolutely though so it um, it affects a lot of different pathways that are you know associated with accelerated aging so it, it suppresses igf1 and we know igf1 plays a role you know in, in aging it activates amp kinase it reduces mTOR uh, it lowers oxidative stress and inflammation um, and it, it kind of probably impacts metabolism in a way that, that shuttles metabolites towards mitochondrial oxidative phosphorylation. And it's kind of in a way stressing the mitochondria, especially initially, it may be a hormetic stress. Like you're actually stressing the body, uh, pretty significantly. If you completely restrict glucose and carbohydrates and force the body to burn fats and ketones, uh, I think there's a transient elevation in in uh, in reactive oxygen species, at least in cell culture systems. When you do that, uh, and it and it and it boosts various endogenous antioxidant pathways that can confer protection and maybe even enhance longevity. And we're interested in studying this, um, but it it does mimic, from my perspective, I'm not a biochemist, but I'm a metabolic physiologist, I guess you would call me, and a neuroscientist, uh, it, it does mimic many aspects of, um, of promoting longevity, you know, from a, from a metabolism point of view, like uh, it triggers autophagy, you know, uh, the, the mechanisms that I talked about uh, previously, and lowers inflammation, you know, I think inflammation could be a big driver of early onset chronic age-related diseases. And if the more we can suppress inflammation, the more likely we are to promote healthy aging and delay the onset of, of these age-related chronic diseases. Right, and actually uh, with that, I've kind of delved into some of like, obviously nowhere near to the depths that someone would, like you would do, but from my understanding, there are certain mechanisms of the ketogenic diets that kind of we know anecdotally that are true, um, appetite suppression being one, but are not fully understood in terms of how that works exactly, what mechanism triggers that. Um, would appetite suppression be an example of that, for example? Yeah, so we think the ketogenic diet makes calorie restriction more feasible. and. <laughs> We think uh, in one of the original clinical trials that we were thinking about developing um, was the ketogenic diet, the calorie restricted ketogenic diet with ketone supplementation. But oh. uh, you know, the university thought that was crazy. Like no one would follow <laughs> follow that. But I think that's completely feasible because when you follow the ketogenic diet, your appetite regulation is. Uh, 
improved. So you have better control over your appetite for sure. We think you have less cravings and, uh, and it allows a person uh, to basically restrict their calories about 10% to 15% on average, we think, and make it more comfortable. Um, and we actually see that in our animal models, when we create this high fat, low carb diet, that they just generally eat less, even, even if we don't add some kind of food supplement that makes the food taste good. So even if we formulate it to taste good, if the animals eat the ketogenic diet and stay in ketosis, after uh, a week or two, they generally lose about 10% of their body weight, and then they maintain that. And one could argue that if you're studying various mice and rats, you know, using a rodent model to study it, and you're giving them ad libitum access to high carbohydrate food, and they're in a cage and they can't really exercise, they're, they're technically being overfed because all they do is eat and sit and maybe walk around their cage and groom themselves a little bit. So that when you, when you calorie restrict uh, or put them on a ketogenic diet, you get all these, these beneficial health effects. You know, they live 25% longer sometimes, and it depends on, on the strain you're using. They, they run faster, they do better on motor function tests, anxiety tests, memory and learning tests. So you get all these benefits that happen uh, and they're very robust effects. So it's very compelling as a human researcher looking at this animal data, thinking, wow, if that data, if those effects are translatable to humans, and I guess, you know, you could argue that humans are kind of couch potatoes. They eat, they don't move around, they go to their office, come back to their house. Um, if they could mimic the same kind of protocol, switch to a ketogenic diet, calorie restrict to, you know, 10 to 10 to 15% less calories, would they get those same cognitive benefits, tumor suppression benefits, health benefits? Like that's 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 what really excites our lab is trying to, you know, study this from every angle possible, from calorie restriction to diet formulation to ketone supplementation, and understanding what's the optimal approach and what what's most feasible for implementing this in, in humans for different pathologies, but also just for, you know, performance for general health benefits. Yeah. And, and is it actually understood what mechanism of ketone or ketosis causes this suppression of appetite? Yeah, I think appetite regulation is a very complex, uh, <laughs> complex field of science. So there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, hormones and, and neuropeptides and neurotransmitters associated with appetite regulation. Um, even the basic you know, neurotransmitters we're all familiar with, like uh, dopamine and serotonin and, and even you know, GABA and glutamate. But then, you, then you, if you delve really into the research, you have you know, ghrelin, you have uh, neuropeptide Y, you have, there's a whole long, long list. Of, of different peptides that are altered by calorie restriction, by the by the macronutrient composition of the diet. Um, so we think that from a purely, you know, energy metabolism point of view, when you're feeding your brain ketones, right, or your blood ketones are elevated, um, it's kind of telling your brain that it that it's okay, that it's in a fed state. Whereas if you're 
on a high carbohydrate diet, but you restrict calories and you go hypoglycemic and the ketones are not elevated in your blood, you're not, your brain becomes de-energized and that hypoglycemic episode is going to produce uh, reactive hypoglycemia, which you would get after a meal typically. It's gonna, it's gonna produce a crisis scenario where you're gonna be seeking food and when you find food, you'll probably eat as, you'll want to eat as much as you can to ensure survival. Uh, and that's, and, and not only that is that, you know, if you're, if you're calorie restricted or you're on a high carbohydrate diet, in the absence of food, your performance plummets because once your liver glycogen is tapped out and you're not making ketones, your, your brain becomes glucose, uh, deprived and, um, you become, I guess, uh, your brain is, is in somewhat glucose addicted and goes through a glucose withdrawal. And during that withdrawal, you'll get headaches, your performance will drop, and elevating blood ketones can circumvent that, you know, performance deficit that you would get during hypoglycemia. And it's very protective against hypoglycemia. And George Cahill at Harvard, you know, back in 1967, he did some elegant studies in fasted subjects and showed that if you administer a dose of insulin that would lower blood glucose to one to two millimolar, which is pretty much universally fatal if your ketones are not elevated, the subjects were essentially asymptomatic for hypoglycemia. And they also performed remarkably well on, on cognitive tests and, and they were perfectly fine, you know, and they were fine because it was a dramatic demonstration that ketones can function as an alternative energy substrate you know, in the face of severe, even, even, you know, deadly hypoglycemia. And that has practical, you know, fast forwarding now, <laughs> you know, 50 years later or 40 years, 50 years later, uh, we know that we can elevate blood ketones with various nutritional supplements. The ketogenic diet with medium chain triglycerides is a way to do it. And if we consistently keep blood ketones elevated, uh, it will control our appetite and give a steady fuel flow to our brains where we can perform better. And we think that ketone metabolism in the brain probably has a lot of health benefits. You know, I talked about neuroinflammation being, you know, uh, I think the root cause of many neurological diseases the seizure research now that I'm aware of is actually looking at neuroinflammation as being a predictor of someone having a seizure. And we know that once you have a seizure, uh, seizures beget seizures. Once you have a seizure, you could, you're more likely to get another seizure because of the neuroinflammation that the seizure causes. So, so not only does the ketogenic diet, you know, balance the neurotransmitters, supplies the brain with energy, and that could help control appetite. Uh, but when it comes to neuroprotection, that neuroinflammation, the suppressing that could be important. Uh, so I talked a little bit about, you know, brain energy status, but being on a ketogenic diet also influences the neuropharmacology of the brain where you have, there's a greater GABA to glutamate ratio in the brain is seen. So, um, you actually need glutamate to make GABA, but it's thought that it activates the enzyme glutamic acid decarboxylase that sort of converts more of the glutamate to GABA. 
and it elevates levels of adenosine. Uh, it influences sort of the, the Krebs cycle intermediates. Um, and we, we like to call it the Krebs-Zent-Georgi cycle, right? Because am I saying his name right? <laughs> the guy. Uh, oh, yeah. It's uh, San Georgi. Yeah, yeah. San Georgi. Yeah. So, so my, my wife always corrects me and said, when, it, when I say the Krebs cycle, she corrects me and said the, the Krebs-Zent-Georgi cycle because he contributed to that. Yeah. Uh, so the, the intermediates associated with that cycle, including um, succinate, malate, fumarate, citrate, alpha-ketoglutarate, which is a precursor to glutamate, all these things are elevated in the brain, not only in the blood, but in the brain when we're on a ketogenic diet, or if we take ketogenic agents and just elevate ketones. And those neurotransmitters are, are important for replenishing, or those, those Krebs cycle, Zentdorji cycle intermediates are important for replenishing the pools of neurotransmitters. So that could be, I've always thought that could play a role in appetite regulation. And I think it does play a role in uh, brain homeostasis. So there's some of the lead investigators out there believe that it does help balance the, the neuropharmacological homeostasis of the brain. You know, the, the, the ketogenic diet does that by, by influencing these neurotransmitters in various ways. We're yeah, just so to understand it, but uh, we just know that these changes are happening, and we think that because the outcome is less seizures, and and you get you know uh, a lot of these these benefits are are you know seen in these outcome based studies, we're really delving into the mechanisms, and it's hard to identify any particular mechanism because it's many mechanisms working in synergy. So now now. We believe that to be the case. It's not any particular mechanism. Like some investigators were convinced it was GABA, others thought it was reactive oxygen species, but it's not. It's many, it's many mechanisms working together. We think. Uh, yeah, and and just two questions popped into my mind uh, off of that. And one is, um, with the anti-seizural effects of of ketosis in mind, do you? personally find that you're more like stress resistant per se um, with with the ketogenic diet? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I'm kind of academia is sort of a high stress occupation to have because you're forced to get grants or, or you lose your job, really. Uh, luckily, I just got tenure in my university. So that kind of oh, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. But leading up to that, you know, you you have you know, at least in the United States, it's, you know, if you don't get grants, you have to move on to another job or find another job. Uh, and I find personally that when I, about 10 years ago, when I started doing this research and became aware of all the benefits, that when I eliminated or reduced, first I reduced carbohydrates in my diet and then slowly, you know, really minimized them to just, you know, vegetables. Now, um, I found that I was better able to manage my stress, and it's probably a combination of factors, but I do think that the ketogenic diet can play a big role. It, the way I view it is that whenever you're regulating your blood glucose in a way that it's more stable, you're going to be regulating your mood in a way, right? So. If you're on a standard diet, carbohydrate diet, your glucose and insulin do this like three times a day, you know, and 
And if this is the window to like three to four millimolar of, of blood glucose, you know, you're going outside of that four millimolar range, going up to five to maybe seven millimolars of, of glucose. Whereas if you're on a ketogenic diet, your blood glucose just goes like this and it stays within a tighter range. And I think that helps balance our mood uh, in a way that can promote, you know, less anxiety and, and more stability. And I get a lot of emails from parents of kids that have like autism spectrum disorder or different mood disorders, uh, attention deficit disorder. And all they did is simply remove carbohydrates from the diet, sugars, and they, they tried a ketogenic or low carb diet on their children. And it, it improved dramatically their performance in schools. Uh, they get better, you know, they, they get along better with their siblings, with the classmates. So I, I think, you know, we need to study this and I think it's worth studying. And I think that the theory is there that it can promote, you know, more mood stability and less anxiety. Yeah. And, and since we mentioned carbs and, and blood sugar spikes and stuff, um, I think one, one thing that is uncontroversial and, and is pretty clear from kind of literature is that overeating and, and being overweight is, is bad for you. But yeah. do you think that the ketogenic diet um, offers some sort of mechanisms that can kind of mitigate the negative effects of kind of chronic caloric surplus and just being overweight and kind of make you get away with it in a sense? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think, you know, as I mentioned, I think the ketogenic diet helps us auto-regulate our calories to match our energy needs. So you're not going, it's very difficult. I'll put it this way. It's very difficult to gain weight on a ketogenic diet. And I, I, I get a lot of feedback from young guys who know the benefits of the ketogenic diet for promoting weight loss, for getting lean you know, from if the guys that work out and when they try to gain, you know, a lot of muscle as fast as possible on the ketogenic diet, they try to overeat the ketogenic diet. And at first they're able to do it. And then they just become, they lose their appetite. They almost get mm -hmm. nauseous by all the fat and everything. And I feel that, you know, a surplus amount of calories on a ketogenic diet is just as bad, maybe even worse than surplus amount of calories on a high carbohydrate diet, because, mm -hmm it's going to elevate blood levels of fats. Whenever you're, you know, exceeding the amount of calories that you need, you're going to be, you know, elevating your blood levels of fats. And that could be causing, that could eventually cause, you know, fatty liver, uh, the fats get oxidized and they could do damage, but you're just less likely to eat surplus amount of calories if your diet has a macronutrient ratio that's similar to a ketogenic diet. It just becomes very difficult to, to overeat. Uh, but I do think, and Thomas Seyfried really believes that the ketogenic diet could promote even cancer growth if it's consumed in excess amounts. Uh, and he, he actually demonstrated that in his animal model of brain tumor. Uh, but it's, it's important to realize that the, the ketogenic diet that he was administering, I, I think it was the keto cow supplement that had hydrogenated fats. It also may have had some sweeteners in it, like uh, aspartame or, or other artificial sweeteners, which caused the mice to eat excess amounts. So mm -hmm. they tend to, he, he gave it and let the mice eat ad libitum, 
And I think that the composition of the diet uh, from the things that I mentioned previously, the hydrogenated fats, the sweeteners, caused the mice to eat more than they otherwise would. And he saw rapid tumor growth in an unrestricted ketogenic diet. So we use, we formulated a ketogenic diet that didn't have artificial sweeteners in it. And, uh, and, it, and it had a healthy complement of fat. It had like medium chain fats and some, you know, had flaxseed oil, combination of saturated, medium and monounsaturated. And when we, we did this in three studies we've published so far. And when we, had, we gave the diet, you know, ad libitum, we actually saw uh, it caused pretty dramatic reduction in, in tumor growth and metastasis and also increased survival significantly. And so I think it matters what kind of, what kind of diet you formulate. Most of the ketogenic diet practitioners out there and clinicians, they're very good, you know, some of them are very good neurologists and, and they're very good at what they do, um, but they don't have an appreciation for the subtleties of the diet. And when it comes to formulating the, you know, the correct ratio of fats, protein and, and the various, you know, diet formulations I think would be optimal. And that's where it really takes the skill of a trained nutritionist. Uh, Beth Zupatkania, who works for the Charlie Foundation, which is a foundation in the United States yeah. that promotes the use of the ketogenic diet. Miriam Kalamian, who's a, a dietitian that does a lot of work with uh, cancer patients, are sort of like my go-to dietitians when people come to me and they say, well, can you formulate a ketogenic diet? I'll connect them to, to various ketogenic diet savvy dietitians who know how to formulate the diet precisely to get a particular benefit from it. So as ketogenic diet researchers, it's really important for us to, uh, to all be using sort of a similar version of the ketogenic diet. Yeah. So and and the results together. Yeah. Yeah, um, just just because you mentioned the kind of diet composition, um, kind of what are you, what are your takes on the whole topic of saturated fats? Um, I know in the paleo community it became very popular, and now I've heard some recent criticism. Um, what what do you think? Uh, what's the role there? I think saturated fat is is fine. Of course, coconut oil, medium chain triglycerides are saturated fats. Uh, what what I tend to see in people who follow a ketogenic diet enthusiastically when they do it, they basically eat a diet that's, uh, that's really high in saturated fat. They eat a lot of dairy fat, they eat a lot of butter, they eat a lot of uh, uh, sour cream and just lots of, it's mostly based on, on a dairy fat. And when they do that, they often get a high elevation of LDL cholesterol and LDL little p particle size can go up, uh, particle number actually. And that that is associated with uh, an atherosclerotic risk. So it's thought to be atherogenic, you know, could promote um, heart disease. So I think, and but our understanding of LDL and LDL little p being atherogenic is in the context of a normal diet and not in the context of a ketogenic diet where you you probably need more of these lipoproteins to carry uh, 
to carry fats because they, they function as little boats to carry triglycerides too. So if you're oxidizing more fats and using more fats for energy, it makes sense that you're going to have more lipoproteins to carry these fats around, right? And, and it's important, I think, when you see the L, if the HDL goes down and the LDL goes up, that could be a warning sign. Um, but most people's HDL increase. So the most important number to look at if someone's following a ketogenic diet uh, and that's high in saturated fat is the is your blood triglycerides. So if your triglycerides are like 100 and you start the ketogenic diet and they go down to like 80, 60, and 40, which that's actually what mine did, uh, that's a really good thing. I mean, that means that your peripheral tissues are burning fats at an accelerated rate. And even though I'm eating, you know, two, 300 grams of fat a day, I'm clearing the fats from my blood. My tissues are utilizing those fats, right? Uh, almost like, you know, a diabetic, it would be really bad for a diabetic to, to walk around two, 300, you know, milligrams per deciliter of glucose. But if they get their glucose down to, you know, 70 or 80 and keep it there, that means their glucose disposal and peripheral tissue is very efficient. Um, so, and, and that's what we kind of see when someone follows a ketogenic diet and it shifts their physiology to burning fat and ketones. So they're Paradoxically, they're eating more fat. They may double or even triple their fat intake, but their triglycerides will go down. And I think that's probably the most important thing. And if someone's on a high carb diet, that, that can elevate your triglycerides. And it's confusing with some people, sometimes even doctors, because a person could be on a very low fat diet and high in carbohydrates, but their triglycerides are elevated. So it confuses them. Like, I'm, you know, I'm not eating fat. Why are my triglycerides elevated? But if your body is adapted to burning glucose and carbohydrates for fuel, and you have even a little bit of fats uh, in your system, and then you have de novo lipogenesis in your liver, you know, producing fats from carbohydrates, your triglycerides are going to remain elevated because you're not forcing your body to burn fats for fuel, especially if you're not exercising. Uh, so, and that that's what I've seen. If we get back to your original question, I'm kind of circling around here, um, in some guys that are eating very high saturated fat ketogenic diets, primarily based on dairy fat, what I've seen is that, especially if they're getting some surplus calories, their triglycerides could, could be increased. It, it's rare, and sometimes it stays the same, but uh, that that is a warning sign that they're eating too much saturated fat. and. and you know, especially if their LDL goes up and their HDL stays the same or goes down, uh, they're all indicators that they need to at least decrease the calories or change the food and the benefit. And I, I kind of had a shift in that trend, uh, at least an elevated LDL. And then I removed, instead of eating 200 grams of fat from dairy, I now eat maybe about 30 to 40 grams of fat from dairy, and I get the rest from monounsaturated fats like uh, olive oil. Uh, I eat a lot of avocados. Um, the various types of meats that I eat are pretty high in, in, um, in monounsaturated fat. I think egg yolks, I eat a lot of egg yolks, and that would be oleic acid, so that's pretty much monounsaturated fat. Now my uh, my numbers have improved a lot. So my um, my LDL came down. My HDL is like 
85 to 95 is really good. And my triglycerides stay around 50. And keep in mind, about 10 years ago, uh, when I was on a high carb diet, my triglycerides were double what oh. they are now. So, Interesting. So it's yeah. been an improvement for me. And I think that each person really needs to tweak and adapt their diet to their calorie needs. And they need to figure out what foods work best for them, too. Yeah, um, I it, it will. This this question will appear a little bit random. Just uh, want to transition to this uh, kind of topic as we approach a little the end here. Uh, do you personally track your macros? Yeah, uh, I do, but I do it in my head. So I when I first started the ketogenic diet, I calculated everything and wrote it down. But because especially when I'm home. Uh, I know exactly what I eat, you know, like I know how much fat and protein is in like four eggs in the morning. And I get, you know, uh, I get like 10 stalks of asparagus or I get, you know, a half a bag of salad that I get. And I know what the macros are on all that. But I, I think it's really important, extremely important for people to calculate their macros uh, when they start the ketogenic diet, because the ketogenic diet is like double the energy density of a normal diet. So if they fill up their plate with the same amount of food in a ketogenic diet, they're going to be eating more, more calories than they need. And if they don't adjust, they may actually gain weight or not, or not fully understand, you know, why they're not losing weight or getting the results that they want. Uh, but generally, I think it's very important. I get the question often, if I follow a ketogenic diet, do I need to count my calories? And it's like, absolutely, <laughs> you need to. You can't you can't beat thermogen, uh, thermodynamics, right? Like if you're getting surplus amount of calories, it's gonna end up somewhere. It's just less likely that you're going to want to eat surplus calories if you're following a ketogenic diet. Yeah, although if you give me a jar of almond butter and a spoon, then the yeah. game, game plan might change a little bit. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's good to allocate out, you know, the food that you're going to eat before you eat it, usually. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, <clears throat> because I've been kind of following your, your work for a long time, and I, I find you a very uh, inspirational figure in this field, um, I understand, like, I'm listening to interviews that you're doing, is that obviously training and, and nutrition, or like eating and training is not in the center point of your uh, days, usually, I guess, because you're busy and working a lot, but... If I quote you correctly, if I kind of, based on what I've heard from you some years ago in your 20s, you were a real hardcore bro. Is, would that be a, a good good description? Uh, you know, I follow the mindset that the more protein you eat, the better. And I think I would eat like three, 400, sometimes 500 grams of protein. And, you know, during times where I was really trying to gain as much size and strength as possible, I would eat, it would be common for me to eat six large meals a day with two protein shakes, you know, in between. So getting, getting on average about, you know, eight meals per day and looking back and a lot of that was carbohydrates. So I would eat, you know, a big bowl of rice or pasta and a sandwich with lots of bread, of course. And I was probably eating and making myself sick. I was, you know, eating so much. And yeah, I think when you're younger in your 20s, your body's set up to, uh, 
to build muscle fast. If you just put calories in and you stimulate, you know, muscle with, uh, with heavy training and you apply a stimulus and you just present calories and you rest, like you grow, you know, and, and I think that's, and I was really interested in being as, you know, big and strong as possible and seeing kind of how much weight I could lift. And to do that, I was really taking an excess amount of, amount of protein. And I had that mindset because I did it for so many years. But looking back, I wonder maybe if I did, maybe did some damage to my, to my kidneys. And I don't really believe that high protein diets are necessarily damaging to the kidneys. Definitely no more damaging than high high carbohydrates or carbohydrate intolerance because if you're walking around with high blood glucose that's very damaging to your kidneys uh but yeah i guess i, I followed that bro mentality <laughs> where uh i kind of did what what the muscle heads were doing i was drinking you know all the weight gainers and you know eating eating lots of carbs and drinking lots of gatorade you know in my workout and a lot of the opposite things that I'm doing or avoiding now, you know, practices that I'm doing now. So, yeah, and and I would be curious. Like um, now, I'm I'm seeing you. You travel a lot. You're you're a super busy guy. And um, how how does someone who, if my sources are correct, that at some point you had nightmares about missing a meal, <laughs> how does someone like that transition to to this kind of lifestyle and just kind of outlook um, that you have today? Yeah, I think it's a it's might be like a slow transition, but uh, I think I'm really fortunate in that I went into a field where I was able to uh, fall back on something I was very passionate about, which was nutrition. You know, I went into a neuroscience and physiology uh, uh, graduate program, and that was after doing an undergraduate in nutrition. But I, it's, I realized the more I talked to my medical doctor friends that the root cause of, of many patients going into the medical clinic is basically poor nutrition. So to really promote prevention of disease and, and health, we need to focus on, on nutrition. And, uh, you know, over the years, in, in being in academia, the long hours in academia, I just started eating less out of necessity because I didn't have the time to do it. And I realized I started feeling better. And, and when I got into ketogenic diet research and started eliminating, you know, wheat-based uh, carbohydrates from my diet and eating more of a, a low-carb, you know, uh, ketogenic-like diet, from the, from the beginning, I started feeling better and my energy was kind of stable. And that was, that almost freaked me out because I was amazed that I could maintain the energy level. And, and what kind of amazed me more, although I don't get as much of an opportunity to, you know, go into the gym and, and lift the kind of weights that I used to on, on a routine schedule. I still try to get in about once or twice a week, but I do a lot of stuff at home. Uh, what kind of amazed me is that my strength was maintained, even though I was consuming about a third of the protein. Uh, I did significantly double or triple my fat intake, um, or probably at least double my fat intake, but I was eating far less protein and way much, much you know less carbohydrates. Uh, as long as I got into the gym and 
I got in like once a week and did the heavy compound movements like deadlifts and, you know, heavy pressing and squats and things like that, I could, I was, it was really remarkable that I could maintain a lot of that strength even by eating very little. I realized, you know, to be as big and strong as possible, you got to put in a lot of calories. Uh, but I just found it really interesting that, you know, someone and not just me and other people that we've observed, whether athletes or powerlifters, they could maintain a significant amount of their strength um, by cutting, you know, cutting their protein in half and increasing their fat intake. So being in a state of being on a ketogenic diet is very protein sparing. Um, so I'm able to work like long hours and, and I think being on a ketogenic diet sort of promotes uh, a lifestyle that or helps you follow a lifestyle that can enable you to work long hours and, and be active at the same time and get a lot of the benefits, the health benefits probably that you get from something like intermittent fasting or calorie restriction that a lot of people are trying to do. Uh, a number of people are trying to do calorie restriction without, you know, without doing nutritional ketosis, just eating high carbohydrates and calorie restriction. And that, that would be really hard to do. <laughs> mm. uh, but yeah, I'm not sure I answered your question fully, but, but I think the more I got steered into this research, the more I started to realize the health benefits of what I was studying through personal experience because I was eating less and I started eating more fat and that controlled my appetite. I could go longer hours in the lab and not get hungry. And I realized that, you know, I hadn't eaten in 12 hours, but on the way home, I would stop by the gym and I was still kind of moving the kind of weights and, and had the same energy levels over the years. So now my uh, my routine is basically to do some kind of physical activity every day, uh, whether it be, you know, I do a lot of chin-ups and push-ups. I have a weighted vest that I wear now, and it goes up to like 80 pounds, and I'll do push-ups and chin-ups with that. And then on the weekends, usually I try to get into the gym at least once, sometimes twice. Um, but I still believe that physical exercise is and nutrition are are the most important thing for personal health and it's really important to promote these ideas to the patient and the medical students that i talked to like they realize they don't get any kind of training in this but they're very enthusiastic about promoting low carb nutrition when they start their practice you know a lot of them are going to specialize but they're going to they're going to promote it to their patients whether it's in you know, a surgeon who has, who's doing a knee replacement and getting their patient to recover, they're, they're probably going to, at least the ones that are being taught by me are going to promote, you know, low carb nutrition for their recovery. And, and they're aware of the anti-inflammatory effects. Uh, so, you know, my, my personal interests have definitely impacted sort of how I live my life and, and the things that I do throughout the day. And also, it has a big effect on kind of what I say to my students and the ideas that I kind of try to advance. So I'm trying to advance my agenda, sort of trying to indoctrinate uh, the medical students with this idea that nutrition is a very powerful tool that they can use, you know, for the wellness, for the prevention and treatment of disease for their patients. 
to, and that's really re rewarding. I never saw, thought when I went into a neuroscience and physiology program that would, uh, I'd fall back on nutrition and actually, you know, teaching these aspects of nutrition to, to medical students and PhD students. Right. All right. Uh, well, thanks, Dom. This was, this was a, a really insightful interview. Just, just one very brief question to the end to uh, close it down somehow. Do you have one thing that kind of gets you out of bed every day that motivates you, that gets you going? Um, do you have anything like that that you could think of? Yeah. Uh, you know, I always remind myself because sometimes I let, you know, the events of the day or pressing issues, deadlines and stuff get to me and start to stress me out. But I think one thing that I always remind myself of, and sometimes I have to, to remind myself of, is just to be very grateful for being able to do what I do. And uh, and I think it's like kind of a privilege and, and kind of an honor. I don't know if that's the best word, but I'm, I'm just very grateful to have fallen into this field of research because you know a lot of a lot of investigators will study some kind of oncogene or some kind of signaling pathway and spend their whole life studying that and publish lots of nature cell and science papers but they never get to see kind of the fruits of their labor right so i've got the opportunity and i've I thank you so much for getting this information out and disseminating this information because when people hear it, they actually apply it to their life. And I get no less than 10 emails a day and sometimes a lot more than that uh, from people that just tell me their experience with, with the ketogenic diet and an overwhelming majority of that are people that, you know, have amazing things to say about how it has improved their their situation, whether it be, you know, cancer or a lot of, you know, seizures or autoimmune diseases or inflammation or weight loss. I mean, obviously I get tons of weight loss uh, success stories. And for me, that's really rewarding because these people would have otherwise not have even heard about low carb or ketogenic diet, you know, nutrition, keto nutrition, I like to call it. Uh, so that's kind of what gets me out of bed because I think there's so much more to learn and there's so much more we need to understand about, you know, formulating the optimal ketogenic diet for particular pathologies or diseases. And, you know, my students in the lab, they're really the, mo the motor behind the engine, I, I like to say, you know, uh, of producing all these results. And I just kind of oversee it and, and guide them. But they're, they're like super smart and um, they're very independent, you know, for being at the level that they are. And so when I wake up every morning, like they motivate me, what they do is motivating me and, and the results and the outcome that, uh, that'll hopefully happen from all this research is really what motivates me. Right. Excellent. That's a, that's a great response, Dom. And, um, we're just going to wrap up here cause I know that you have to go. Um, I'm going to link to all of your, uh, stuff in, in the show notes and in the big, the intro in the beginning. Is there anything you'd like to mention before we wrap this up? Uh, I don't think so. They could find me at, I have a website. It's not, it's not too kind of developed yet, but keto nutrition.org. I kind of compile, if you click on resources, you'll find a list of the podcasts and, and articles. There's clinical trials. There's, uh, I have uh, nutritionists on there, consultants that can, can uh, consult with people. 
And I do have a, a more recent uh, website, metaboloptimization.com uh, with hmm. Travis Christofferson. And we've had, uh, we've had Bruce Ames on there, Thomas Seyfried and uh, Adrian Sheck, you know, podcast. And so your listeners can, can go to those websites and, and get more information about kind of this area of research and what we're doing. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks again for taking the time and I wish you tons of success and good luck for your research in the future. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, guys, I really hope you enjoyed this interview with Dr. D'Agostino. If so, please leave a review and subscribe too uh, to help out this podcast to grow and make it possible to get some other amazing people like Dom on this show. So thank you for hanging around. It means a lot and see you all next time.